Welcome to episode 209 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the objects to observe in the April 2022 Night Sky Edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else that likes going out under the stars, which we're starting, just starting to be able to do after our horrendously cold and snowy winter here, Shane. Yeah, we we had a, we, we, we kind of go through cycles here. Like, you know, for a few years, you get no snow and warm temperatures. And then for a few years, it's cold and you get lots of snow. Um, and I don't know if this is the start of the cold and lots of snow, but certainly that's the winter that we had. Yeah. Well, it certainly was cold the past uh, couple of years as well. That is for sure. I remember 2019 was even colder and, uh, uh, the past few years haven't been quite as snowy, but, uh, this year we had both the cold and the snow, but finally we're getting above zero temperatures just about every day. And, Things are starting to melt off nicely. So I'm really looking forward to, to April, uh, more so than usual. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we also have, uh, have a great conjunction of sorts, uh, which happens uh, from the end of March through the first week of April. So uh, um, I could recall, like, I think we had that great conjunction in December of uh, 2021. No, wait, mm-hmm. December of 2020. Um, between uh, Jupiter and Saturn. I think that I just barely got it. And then you, you end up totally clouded for that one. I believe that night, uh, the day of, yeah, I believe so. Um, I had great observations of it the day before. Um, yeah. And, and, well, actually like two or three days before each night I was observing it, but the day of, I, I just missed it. Yeah. And we got, uh, you know, a couple of these this month, sort of, uh, an interesting month for you. Um, April, uh, we have Mars and Saturn starting off even, even the last couple of days of March, um, they're going to be pretty close Mars and Saturn, and, uh, they're going to be in the same binocular field or, or, you know, wide field, uh, telescope field, um, until about, uh, the end of the first week. And uh, for the fourth and fifth on those two, two mornings, um, Mars and Saturn are going to be closer than half a degree. Wow. Yeah, that's so, super tight. You know, that's yeah. well within any telescope will have a, a field of view uh, larger than that. So, you know, any anybody can observe this uh, if you wake up uh, a little earlier. Yeah, I think this this is one I'm definitely going to try to to start getting out to to take a look at here. Uh, we're recording this on the 27th. I think this uh, this podcast is going to come out on the 31st. And, uh, yeah, so by the 31st, this one will be, uh, visible in the morning sky and certainly, uh, uh, by the fourth and fifth, they're going to be really, really close together. So yeah, this is, uh, I think this is going to be a neat one to see, uh, Mars and Saturn, uh, getting super, super close, uh, during this first week of, uh, of April. I think people should try to get out and take a look. This is, this is something to see. And it's surprising that they are getting so close and there's been virtually no fanfare for this one. Unlike, unlike the great conjunction. I don't, I don't know. I thought, I thought this sort of conjunction would, uh, would, you know, almost uh, equal that one in a way, because Mars uh, is in opposition this year. It's coming along, might even be able to get a hint of like a polar cap while you're looking at Saturn's rings mm-hmm. um, in that same telescopic uh, eyepiece field. I think that is a, is a unique site chain. Yeah, this is a super cool opportunity. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping you see it. Uh, you know me; I'm not 
I'm not likely to wake up early to, to observe, but, That's right. yeah. but I'll live vicariously through you on this one. Yeah. I'll definitely get up and, uh, and take a crack at, at this one. I got, uh, yeah, I have uh, some parts coming. I think I mentioned that, uh, I lost one of the, uh, feet off my, my tripod, my mm-hmm. port one of my portable tripods that I use for, for observing. I had left, um, you know, a piece of it in the field. Unfortunately, like one of the feet got stuck in the mud and pulled out. I had noticed this and I drove off and I actually thought it was like the whole leg, but it's just the foot. And when I realized that I thought, cause I had hoped that once the snow starts to melt, I'd be able to go out and just retrieve it. But, um, uh, the way that what they call the prairie gumbo, uh, does to swallow things up. I, I don't think there's any chance of me ever seeing that again. I probably drove over it and that would just, just have pushed it right into the soil. It's gone. Yeah. You know, your, your time has a price on it too. So you have to, <laughs> you'd spend a lot of time trying to find that little foot. <laughs> And it's, yeah, a replacement was 20 bucks. And what was funny is this, is that I looked at um, one of my other feet in the tripod and what they are is they're these little rubber feet. They're about an inch or so across and they kind of are like cones. And then you can kind of screw them up and down. If you screw them up or down, like there's a bit of a metal stud that kind of sticks out and, but they do kind of, uh, they're a bit of a friction fit, but I think, you know, quite a tight friction fit. And I guess this must've happened once before. I have no recollection of this and it had, one of them had fallen out and I had wrapped it in tape and was able to jam it back in. And, uh, and that one also fell out. And so I have that one, but I'm like, okay, you know, how much are these things? And so they're 20 bucks. So I was like, you know what? I ordered a couple. So I got two new feet coming to replace these ones. I thought in the end, I should have just bought a third one, but I'm like, I'm, I'm too cheap. I'm not going to get three. Um, (laughs) And then, uh, and they asked, so that, so they're going to be replaced. And then, you know, what else I bought is I didn't realize I could get this and I'll probably need your help on this is that, um, the little handle on my column, like, cause you can ratchet that column up. Oh yeah. Um, there's like a little plastic part that had come off and, uh, you can buy a replacement column, um, winch or, or handle or whatever it is. And that may be, belong, be, be beyond my skill set to replace, but uh, I'm hoping to, maybe I can lean on you. It comes with instructions for how to do it. And I thought maybe that would be an interesting spring project for us to do together. I can, <laughs> I can break more of your tools. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. All right. On uh, April 3rd, Uranus is going to be 0.6 degrees north of the crescent moon. That is super close. Again, just over half a degree. Um, between the moon and Uranus on that night. So basically on April 3rd, the star that is um, really close to the moon is not a star. That is the planet uh, Uranus shining at about uh, a little bit brighter than sixth magnitude. So that is a binocular object, even from the city. Yeah. Yeah. Really good opportunity uh, to observe Uranus if you've never seen it before and see if you can tease out some of the color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think on the Fourth, I think the next night, the moon and the um, uh, the crescent moon and the Pleiades are in the same field of view. So, uh, so you can try for that the following night. On April eighth, we have the uh, the lunar X, and this is a really good night for the lunar X on April eighth. So, what is the lunar X, Shane, and and how can people see it? Uh, the lunar X is what is known as a clair obscure. Um 
it's not an object. It's a, it's an effect with the, it, it's a play with this um, illuminated part of the moon and the shadowy areas on the moon. And it can uh, create some interesting things to observe. One of them is this lunar X. So um, if, if everything aligns up properly, you can see this X feature. It's not really a feature, but it, it's this prominent X right along the Terminator on April the 8th. Um, now, I assume, Chris, that this is probably just for Canada and the U.S. Um, yep, I'm assuming, it is, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a it is a timed event, and it 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 only happens for a brief moment. So, you know, if you're not in the right area, like the right spot on Earth at the right time, you're not going to see this. Now, also, the lunar X is not super rare; like this does happen periodically throughout the year. It is really neat to observe, though, if you've never seen it. And even if you have, it's still a fun, uh, a fun thing to, to check out. And whenever the lunar X is visible, there's also a lunar V um, that I think is north of the X. Ooh. So look for that as well along the Terminator. Cool. All right. Um, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk uh, next about April 9th. We have the first quarter moon and then the straight wall. So maybe oh. tell us a little bit about the straight wall. Yeah, so this is another um, sort of clear, obscure effect. Um, there's there's a ridge on the moon. I forget the name of the ridge, but um, again, when the timing is just right, it casts a shadow. And through a telescope, it really looks like a very straight line. And it's quite large and it's quite dark. So when you're if you're out on the ninth and you're observing the moon, look for this dark straight line. Uh, it is really neat. Um, I observed that for the first time last year and I was really blown away with, uh, with that feature. Um, so definitely check that out if you've never seen it. Yeah. I tried to look it up really quick here, but I, I couldn't find it that, uh, that quick, but yeah, that's kind of neat on, on those two nights. I think these are going to represent two really good nights because sometimes the, the Lunar X feature is is just catching one part of North America. But I think this time uh, we are ideally suited here right in uh, Central uh, North America. And uh, and then to the East and West are, are well-placed as well. So uh, that this will be a pretty good night for us here. And then the following night to be able to see the straight wall uh, could be could be a good opportunity. So one thing, one thing we mentioned uh, so far uh, in this episode, Shane, is is that on the 4th and 5th, um, Mars and Saturn are going to be about half a degree apart. And then on the 3rd, Uranus and the crescent moon are going to be uh, just over half a degree apart. And so so just maybe for people, maybe we just back up for a second, maybe for people that are just sort of getting into astronomy, what, uh, what does this half a degree uh, business uh, look like? Um, on the night sky, like, like, like for somebody who's just getting started, how, how, how can they know how close half a degree is and maybe, uh, what it would look like through the eyepiece? Well, half a degree is, is very close. So one of the methods of measurement in the sky that we always refer to is your fist. So if you make a fist and you hold that out at arm's length and kind of cast that upon the sky, the width of your fist is 10 degrees in the sky. Um, so now, you know, to extrapolate that down to half a degree, you can get a sense of how close those objects will be. Um, now through a telescope, um, or even binoculars, uh, a half a degree, um, you know, is still quite close. Like it, it'll be quite incredible to see, you know, these objects in the same field of view. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the idea that half degree is a small measurement 
is something to keep in mind that 10 degrees is starting to get fairly large. A binocular, average binocular will have about five degrees or more as its field of view. So just over half a fist. And, uh, you know, once you get over about half a fist towards the, the full size fist, then that that's a distance for stuff uh, that's spread apart that it's going to be best to see uh, just with your unaided eye uh, alone. But for these things, um, using binoculars or telescopes are, are definitely going to catch your eye. In fact, half a degree, though, you, you should be able to separate that with your eye. Um, like just at a quick glance, they're almost going to blend together. I think probably aren't they like half a degree is, is pretty close. Just if you, if you gave a quick glance up, like it's gonna, like, just if you were glancing around, like this might even just catch your attention, even if you're just really not that interested in astronomy at all, you might say, Hey, what the heck is that? looks like a set of headlights up there in space or something. Yeah, totally. Yep. Agreed. Cool. And on that Jupiter on the 12th, April 12th, Jupiter is going to be as close. This is like almost hard to believe uh, point uh, less than 0.1 degrees North of Neptune in the morning sky. So that is, that is exceptionally, exceptionally close together. Yeah. Yeah. That is very, very tight. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be very interesting to observe. Are you waking up for that one too? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I'll see uh, what our conditions are like, and uh, certainly it's getting warmer. And uh, these are things that, uh, yeah, I can see from my back deck, and my back deck now has no snow on it, so I'm good to go there. And uh, yeah, even in like a little telescope, like like a my 60 millimeter, I can just leave it by the back door and just grab it and haul it out uh, in two steps and and take a look. Yeah, this is going to be really a neat uh, a neat month for seeing things. Uh, paired up in, in the morning sky. And I'm just going to look and see the one thing for people to remember is these are morning times. And so that's key because sometimes people put these things in their calendar and they think it's going to be in the evening, but uh, most of these are in the morning unless, unless we specifically state. So, uh, and that is the morning of the 12th. So you got to set your alarm nice and early and get up and haul that little telescope out and take a peek. But yeah, I think I'm going to, I got my little 60 millimeter right here with me uh, where I'm sitting and uh, going to get that all set to go by the back door for this month and uh, just really use, uh, use these opportunities when these planets are pairing up. Cause I just think it's, uh, it's super cool. And these are easy observations to make. You can find these things or they're naked eye. You can see them but they're unique because uh, they're sets of planets and or planet and the moon uh, super, super close in the nighttime sky. It's going to be a very fun month. Yeah, no kidding. Great opportunities coming our way. Yeah. If you're looking for something a little more challenging on on the 12th, and that is the weekend. So if if we do happen to have some uh, some clear skies and uh, end up spending some time outside of the city, uh, Asteroid 8 Flora is going to be at opposition uh, it's not a great opposition though, and it's going to be at magnitude 9.7. So uh, that, that one could be worth hunting down. I, I got to start trying to get out and, uh, and hunting down some of these, uh, some of these uh, I guess, minor planets or, or asteroids. So, you know, should be, uh, should be kind of a, a neat object to, to take a look at, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I need to do the same, Chris. I, I don't, I don't prioritize asteroids and, um, I need to, cause I, you know, some of our listeners have written us about their observations of, uh, you know, asteroids and minor planets, and it's quite fascinating. So I, I need to make a, a, a greater effort to observe this stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just trying to look up and see exactly where it is, but I'm not able to do that as as fast as I would have liked meant to point that out. So yeah, yeah, probably best to, because it's almost 10th magnitude, you're going to want to uh, look at this in your planetarium software. So this isn't something that uh, I can just wheel out and say it's in which constellation, and then you're, you're going to be able to find it really easily. You're going to want to be able to uh, look that up in your planetarium software anyway, and uh and take a look at it. So sorry about that. Uh, but Flora is kind of interesting. It's the innermost of the large main asteroids. The, and that means that it's larger than 25 kilometers in diameter. And it can be brighter than eighth magnitude uh, during better oppositions than this. Um, but there are some people out there. And the reason why I'm throwing this one out, um, even though it might be a bit of a challenge, is we do have lots of listeners that, uh, that do go and hunt these down, take photographs of them. Um, you know, make observations of them, and, and that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, this one was discovered by Hind in 1847, and it was John Herschel who proposed the name uh, Flora, which is after the Latin goddess of flowers. So isn't that nice? Because here we are in April, and I think uh, we're all looking forward to seeing some flowers after such a snowy winter. April showers bring May flowers. Exactly. Exactly. So it's also the parent body of the flora family of asteroids and they're uh, rocky metal uh, asteroids that are up there. Do you have any floras in your asteroid or meteorite collection? I do not. Well, I do have like rocky metal um, meteorites, but I'm not sure if they're flora. That This is new to me, so I'm, I'm not sure. Hmm. I'll have to take a look. Yeah. All right. Mo- moving on to April uh, 16th to 18th. So again, we have a beautiful lineup um that's going to shape up on on these mornings uh it's going to be up there for for these uh several days of jupiter venus mars and saturn they're going to line up in the morning sky i think you know and i've read different um dates at different sources but you know the planets although they move appreciably night to night like to your unaided eye um they're not moving um you know, these huge distances every night, although they are moving huge distances in space when you're just looking at them with your animated eye against the other planets uh, that are up there in the morning sky. Um, they're going to sort of appear to be in this uh, this lineup over the better part of a, of a week there uh, in that third week of uh, start of the third week of, uh, of April. So that could be a pretty sight uh, in the morning sky. Maybe if people take, take a photo of it kind of arching over um, I don't know, like maybe some budding trees or maybe some flowers or something like that could be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the full moon also occurs, I think on the 16th and then on the 17th, uh, Uranus is going to be two degrees south of Mercury. Uh, this one's going to be in the evening sky. So, uh, that could be interesting because of course, Uranus is, uh, brighter than magnitude six. Uh, Mercury is fairly bright, but they're going to be low on the horizon. But um, yeah, I think if if you can get them in a telescope, I think you should be able to uh, to see them. Like in my in my four inch, uh, I easily can get a two degree uh, field of view and some reasonable power, and to be able to see Uranus and Mercury together, um, that would be pretty pretty cool. And we have all these planetary alignments. There's even some more coming up. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So April 22nd and 23rd, this is, in my opinion, um, when meteor shower season starts uh, and we have the Lyrid meteor shower and you can expect to see an average of about 10 meteors per hour. And uh, if you get some clear skies between midnight and dawn, um, that's when you might stand the chance of actually seeing uh, one of the surges 
of the Lyrids, uh, where you might get even up to 100 meteors per hour. And uh, I just love going out um, as we get into this sort of end of April time period when the Lyrids are are picking up because then we can, uh, you know, be out enjoying, enjoying some observing perhaps when it's not below zero. And, uh, and you'll see these meteors uh, streaking in. And uh, while it's not like the most spectacular meteor shower, it really, um, to me anyway, feels like sort of one of those quintessential uh, observing nights, just as, as you're starting to uh, really be able to get out and enjoy um, some warmer weather and some longer observing sessions and be able to look through the telescope. And as you sort of turn your eye away from the eyepiece every once in a while, you'll catch a meteor when you're out on those nights. So makes makes for a really enjoyable time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, April's really shaping up to be a good month. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, after after the uh, period that we've gone through, which is really quite poor. So yeah. uh, finger, fingers crossed in some better weather. And there on uh, April 23rd, we have the last quarter moon. And on the 24th, we have Saturn about five degrees north of the moon in the morning sky. So um, yeah, within a binocular field, you have Saturn and the moon in the morning sky on the 24th should be uh, nice. And then on the 25th, we have Mars four degrees north of the moon in the morning sky. And this is starting to remind me of when we had the moon pairing up like with Saturn and Jupiter sort of month after month after month, like we did mm-hmm. uh, there over the past, like in, in 2020, 2021 kind of time frame. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, uh, that's very cool. Um, and, and like you said, definitely well within a binocular field of view mm. um, and some, some wider field telescopes, like, pro, you know, some shorter focal length refractors can fit four or five degrees uh, as well. So uh, if you have a telescope that can achieve those uh, fields of view, um, those will be some very nice sights. Yeah. And if you don't have a telescope on the 26th of April, you'll be able to see the moon halfway between um, Venus and Mars. And kind of what's neat about all this, even even if you're sort of following it along and maybe you don't own a telescope or uh, maybe you don't have a pair of binoculars, you can actually use like the moon to kind of point out which of the planets um, it's close to on on these nights. And uh, and if you do have binoculars, I think, uh, you know, just dust those binoculars off and, and take them in. You'll be able to, uh, to take in and see some of this stuff for yourself. But yeah, on the 26th, yeah, the moon, uh, is going to sit right between Venus and Mars. So I think that's going to be a neat set as well. And then on the 27th, this, this is, is really um, like the closest of close conjunctions. Venus is going to be 0.01 degrees south of Uranus in the morning sky. So it is really, it's going to be really close down on the horizon, but that is basically on top of each other. Wow. That is super close. I'm just, what's the arc second on that? Do 36 arc seconds. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that is exceptionally close. That's like a decent double star. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, like I good, think like an easy double star. Yeah. It'd be, that would be a pretty easy double. Um, I think when Jupiter and Saturn were at their great conjunction in 2021, wasn't it like seven arc seconds or something like that? Yeah. Something. Yeah. But so, but this is, this is really close. That's exceptionally close. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a really, really close conjunction between, uh, between Uranus and, uh, and Venus there in the morning sky. I think it might be tough to see. I think it's going to be pretty low because you could see like Uranus and Mercury were close together in the evening sky earlier in the month. So I, I think this is close. Um, but as well, like sometimes people track Venus during the day. So they're, they're going to be very close, um, you know, for that day. And, 
if people are observing and I know like uh, I was observing with uh, with Tenho uh, who's a member uh, of the astronomy one of the astronomy clubs here and uh, we were out and, and we were observing Venus one day uh, through his telescope so people do track them down just got to be experienced at, uh, at making sure that you're being safe around the sun of course because you never want to get the telescope pointed anywhere near the sun so there's ways ways to do that safe all right uh, and then the crescent moon uh, meets up with uh, Venus and Jupiter on that day as well. So even if you can't quite get uh, Venus and uh, and Uranus together, you, you have that that set uh, as well to take a look at. So there's there's just a lot going on in the morning sky. Basically, if you just get up in the morning in April, you're going to have lots of planets and the moon uh, to take a look at uh, as we get towards the end of the month. It's pretty cool. Um, and then on the 29th, we have Mercury at its greatest Eastern elongation. That means it's visible in the West after sunset. And, uh, it says on this night, I've seen this in a few locations says it's going to be two degrees away from the Pleiades, um, which is the M45 star cluster up in Taurus. But I, I don't know. I mean, v, uh, Ple- Mercury is so close to the horizon and, you know, with, with the daylight, uh, extending into the evening, I think that's going to be a pretty tall order to try to see uh, the Pleiades. I think just seeing Mercury alone is going to be uh, a pretty good achievement here uh, towards the end of the month. Yeah, that would be a tough observation. It would be pretty neat if you could pull it off, though. Um, certainly, I, I would love to hear about anybody that is successful on that one. Yeah, yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see as well. But I I think it's a it's a fairly tall order. Mm-hmm. On the thirtieth, we have a New Moon, um, and uh, that's going to be. Uh, you know, of course, uh, a great time to start getting out. I think we try to take a couple of days off work uh, at that time, maybe do some uh, dark sky observing. Hopefully things are much warmer and I really hope the snow is gone by then. I always have to remind myself that I have seen years where the snow uh, wasn't gone on the 30th of April. So I always have to keep that reality in mind. Yeah, it can still be chilly around here at that time. Um the another interesting side note is Grasslands National Park, where you and I like to do some real dark sky observing, opens May first. So just mm. in time for uh, for the new moon. Oh wow! I didn't know they were going to open that early this year. Often they don't open until after or at the May long weekend, or sometimes the weekend before. So that's awesome. They're going to open uh, earlier and earlier. That's uh, that's really good. They must be getting some demand for it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, end of April and into early May, we have another conjunction when Jupiter and Venus meet in the morning sky, getting closer than a quarter of a degree. So wow. again, I, I know that's just super, super tight. Some of these earlier ones seem really close when they're half a degree. And you're talking about using, um, you know, kind of modest power on a telescope, uh, you know, what, like maybe like a 120 power, you can, you can fit things into a half degree field of view. Um, but if things are only a quarter of a degree apart, I mean, you can use some pretty significant, like 150 power um, and a wide field eyepiece will still give you these, uh, these two planets, Venus and, uh, and uh, Jupiter together uh, in that same high power eyepiece field of view. That is uh, a, a, an awesome conjunction opportunity to go and take a look at. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, be visible for several days together in the nighttime sky too, kind of like how the Great Conjunction was. Again, um, and I'm not sure how these are going to actually look. It's always surprising once we get into the end of April how much uh, twilight um, we have both uh, at both ends of the day. So uh, kind of to conclude sort of uh, the, the main part of this, um, there is a partial solar eclipse for southern South America. And I know we have some... Uh, uh, 
so Southern American or South American observers. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it'll be visible where I know that uh, a couple of them live, but, uh, but maybe if people are traveling um, to Southern South America, then uh, they might be able to get a, get a good view of, uh, of that partial eclipse. We've got a annular eclipse coming up in 2023 and then a big, uh, um, you know, total eclipse in uh, 2024 for, uh, for America, for the U S. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both events are pretty cool. The annulars are, are neat, but you know, the total eclipse is if you, if you can observe one of those, that is absolutely incredible. Yeah. I don't know why they call them annulars. Cause don't they happen every three years anyway? Um, yeah, we got some comets, a couple of comets, uh, people can try to look at not too bright couple near 10th uh, magnitude. What do we got coming up, Shane? Uh, we have C 2019 L3 Atlas. Uh, so this is an evening comet visible in small telescopes. Uh, it begins the month in Gemini at magnitude 9.7. So definitely, um, you you know, you definitely need optics for that. And and a telescope is ideal. Yeah. Um, The coma is 3.5. Is that arc seconds? Yeah. It's not very big. Yeah. 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 And then it it should fade by about. Yeah. Minutes. Okay. Okay. Um, it should fade by about half a magnitude by month's end. So, you know, it will get a little bit dimmer as, as, uh, we get towards the end of April. Um, and the other one to keep, uh, uh on your list is 19 P Borelli, uh, which I think we talked about last month during the, what to observe episode. Uh, but this is another evening comet, uh, that's visible in small telescopes. And it's kind of similar to Atlas in that it is magnitude 9.8. So they're both about the same brightness. Uh, but Borelli is in Aries and, uh, it's about a, a three arc minute coma. So again, very similar in size to Atlas. Um, however, Borelli will fade by about 1.3 magnitude by the end of the month. So that's pretty substantial. Um, and it will move into Perseus as well by the end of the month. So it might be neat to watch it move from Aries to Perseus and, and also to, uh, note the difference in magnitude from the beginning of the month until the end. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, people are looking for a uh, place to, and they've, they've got lots of these listed on the Skyhound, um, webpage. So that's a good resource that I think we all use for, uh, for checking out what comets are, are visible, but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, 10 to 92 comets are starting to get kind of faint. So I don't think anybody's getting too excited about these ones, but, uh, but again, just like with some of the fainter minor planets, uh, there's certainly, uh, people out there listening to this, I know that like to go and hunt, hunt up this stuff. So be interesting to read any reports that uh, the people uh, might have. So anything uh, that you're sort of looking to observe uh, this month, Shane, are you looking at any doubles or anything like that? Or what do you have on your observing uh, agenda? Well, so I usually have a couple approaches. One is my backyard observing. And then the other is my dark sky observing uh, from the backyard, it's certainly going to be a, a large double star focus. Um, and I'm continuing, continuing to work through the RASC, the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. Uh, they have a list for double star observing. So I'm just working my way through that. Um, so that's likely uh, some of my backyard stuff. I'm, I'm really hoping to maybe catch a good night uh, of seeing to try to split Sirius uh, before it's lost for the season. Yeah. Um, and then the other hope that I have is just, uh, for us to get out to some dark skies yeah. and, and do some of that observing. I'm super excited for that. Cause 
you and I have been shut out from any observing for yeah. months uh, with uh, the winter that we've had. Oh, just and, terrible. Yeah. yeah and, and while I thoroughly enjoy my backyard observing, I do crave dark skies and I'm excited to hopefully get out and, and do some of that kind of observing. Yeah. Yeah. So am I, uh, yeah, really excited here to uh, finally be able to, uh, to get out and, uh, and start taking a look at some stuff. Uh, I'm really excited to see. I like these, um, close planetary approaches. I do, uh, try to catch, uh, catch these when, when it's clear and possible. And, uh, uh, I'm well suited. Like my yard is horribly light polluted, but on the, uh, on these sort of, uh, uh, opportunities early in the morning when, things are pairing up, then, uh, I can just grab a little telescope and put it out on the back deck and take a quick peek, uh, you know, and then head back to bed or, or get up for the day and maybe head to work early that morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, without, uh, without further ado, uh, unless you have anything to add, maybe we'll wrap up here. No, that's everything, Chris. Thanks. All right, super. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast software. And we're always excited to get observing emails sent to us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>